are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and will be able to share your own thoughts and insights into today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 227. We are reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 6, paragraphs 388 to 395. Chapter 6. Christ is transfigured on Mount Tabor in the presence of his most holy mother. They go from Galilee to Jerusalem preparatory to the Passion, and the Savior is anointed by Magdalene in Bethany. 388. Our Redeemer and Master Jesus had already consumed more than two years and a half in preaching and performing wonders, and he was approaching the time destined by the eternal wisdom for satisfying divine justice, for redeeming the human race through his passion and death, and thus to return to his eternal Father. Since all his works were ordered with the highest wisdom for our instruction and salvation, the Lord resolved to prepare and strengthen some of his apostles for the scandal of his passion by manifesting to them beforehand in its glory that same body which he was so soon to exhibit in the disfigurement of the cross. Thus would they be reassured by the thought that they had seen it transfigured in glory before they looked upon it, disfigured by his sufferings. This he had promised a short time before in the presence of all, although not to all, but only to some of his disciples, as is recorded by St. Matthew, Matthew sixteen twenty-eight, For his transfiguration, he selected a high mountain in the center of Galilee, two leagues east of Nazareth, and called Mount Tabor. Ascending to its highest summit with the three apostles, Peter and the two brothers, James and John, he was transfigured before them, Matthew 17, 1, Mark 9, 1, Luke 9, 28. The three evangelists tell us that besides these apostles were present also two prophets, Moses and Elias, discoursing with Jesus about his passion, and that while he was thus transfigured, a voice resounded from heaven in the name of the Eternal Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. 389 the evangelists do not say that the Most Holy Mary was present at this transfiguration, nor do they say that she was not there. This did not fall within their purpose, 
and they did not think it proper to speak of the hidden miracle by which she was enabled to be there. For the purpose of recording this event here, I was given to understand that at the same time in which some of the holy angels were commissioned to bring the soul of Moses and Elias from their abode, others of her own guard carried the heavenly lady to Mount Tabor in order to witness the transfiguration of her divine son, for without a doubt she really witnessed it. There was no necessity of confirming the Most Holy Mother in her faith, as was necessary with the apostles, for she was invincibly confirmed in faith. But the Lord had many different objects in view at his transfiguration, and there were special reasons for his not wishing to celebrate this great event with the presence of his Most Holy Mother. What, for the apostles, was a gratuitous favor, was a duty in regard to the Queen and Mother since she was his companion and co-partner in the works of the redemption, even to the foot of the cross. It was proper to fortify her by this favor against the torments in store for her most holy soul. Moreover, she was to remain on earth as the teacher of the holy church. Therefore, it was proper that she should be one of the eyewitnesses of this great mystery. To grant such a favor was easily within the power of her divine son, since he was wont to lay open to her all the workings of his divine soul nor would the love of such a son permit him to withhold that favor from his mother. For he otherwise omitted nothing whereby he could in any way demonstrate his tender love for her, and this certainly would be a token of highest esteem for her excellence and dignity. I have therefore been informed that for these reasons, and for many others not necessary to mention here, Most Holy Mary assisted at the transfiguration of her divine son, our Redeemer. 390. During this transfiguration, the blessed Mary saw not only the humanity of Christ our Lord transformed in glory, but she was favored by an intuitive and clear vision of the divinity itself. For the Lord wished to partake of the privilege implied in being present at this event in a more abundant and distinguished manner than the apostles. Moreover, there was a great difference between her insight and that of the apostles into the glory of the transfigured body. For the apostles, as St. Luke says, Luke 9.32, were not only asleep when Jesus, at the beginning of this mysterious glorification, retired to pray, but they were also seized with such fear at the voice resounding from heaven that they fell with their faces to the earth and rose not until the Lord himself spoke to them and raised them up. Matthew 17.6 The Blessed Mother, on the other hand, witnessed and heard all these events without undue excitement. For besides being accustomed to such great manifestations of glory, she was divinely fortified and enlightened for looking upon the divinity. Hence, she was enabled to look fixedly upon the glorified body without experiencing the terror and weakness of the senses which overtook the apostles. The Most Blessed Mother had already on other occasions seen the body of her divine son, glorified as was related in other parts of this history. Numbers 695 to 851. But on this occasion she looked upon him with much greater enlightenment, and with a mind much more alert to all the wonders therein hidden. Hence also the effects caused in her by this vision were such that she was totally renewed and inflamed by the communication with the divinity. As long as she lived, she never lost the impression caused by the sight of such glory manifested in the humanity of Christ. The memory of it greatly consoled her in the absence of her divine Son, 
whenever his glorious presence was not otherwise felt by her, as we shall see in the third part of this history. Yet, on the other hand, the memory of this glorious transfiguration of Christ also made her feel so much the more deeply the maltreatment experienced by Christ in his passion and death. 391. But no human ingenuity can suffice fully to describe the effects of this glorious vision of her Son on her most holy soul. With inmost gratitude and deepest penetration, she began to ponder upon what she had seen and heard. Exalted praise of the omnipotent God welled forth from her lips when she considered how her eyes had seen refulgent and glory, that same bodily substance which had been formed of her blood, carried in her womb, and nursed at her breast, how she had with her own ears heard the voice of the Eternal Father, acknowledge her Son as his own, and appoint him as the teacher of all the human race. With her holy angels, she composed new canticles to celebrate an event so full of festive joy, for her soul and for the most sacred humanity of her son. I will not expatiate upon this mystery, nor discuss in what the transfiguration of the body of Jesus really consisted. It is enough to know that his countenance began to shine like the sun and his garments became whiter than the snow. Matthew 17.2 This outward splendor was merely the effect of the glory of his divinity, always united to his beautified soul. At his incarnation, the glory, which would naturally have been communicated permanently to his sacred body, was miraculously suspended for the time of his natural life. Now, this suspension of his divine glory ceased, and the body, for a short time, was allowed to share the glory of his soul. This is the splendor which became visible to those who were present. Immediately after the miraculous suspense, the divine glory was again confined only to his soul. As his soul was always in the beatified state, so also his body, according to the common order, should have continually shared in this glory, and therefore this transient glorification of his body was likewise a miracle. 392. After the transfiguration of the Most Blessed Mother was brought back to her house in Nazareth, her divine son descended the mountain and immediately came to visit her in order to take final leave of his parental province and set out for Jerusalem. There, on the following Pasch, which was to be for him the last upon earth, he was to enter upon his passion. Having spent only a few days at Nazareth, he departed with his mother, his disciples and apostles, and some of the holy women, traveling, that, traveling about through Galilee and Samaria, before entering Judea and Jerusalem. The evangelist St. Luke writes of this journey where he says that he set his face toward Jerusalem, Luke 9:51, For he journeyed to Jerusalem with a joyous countenance and full of desire to enter upon his sufferings in order thereby, according to his own most ardent and generous desire, to sacrifice himself for the human race. He was not to return to Galilee where he had wrought so many miracles, knowing this at his departure from Nazareth. He glorified his eternal Father, and in the name of his sacred humanity, gave thanks for having, in that house and neighborhood, received the human form and existence which he was now to deliver over to suffering and death. Of the prayers of Christ our Lord on this occasion, I will record, as far as I can, the following one. 393. My eternal Father, in compliance with thy will, I gladly haste to satisfy thy justice by suffering even unto death. 
Thus shall I reconcile to thee all the children of Adam, paying their debts and opening to them the gates of heaven, which have been closed against them. I shall seek those who have turned away and lost themselves, so that they may be restored by the force of my love. I shall find and gather together the loss of the house of Jacob. Isaiah 56, 8. Raise up the fallen, enrich the poor, refresh the thirsty, cast down the haughty, and exalt the humble. I wish to vanquish hell and enhance the glories of the triumph over Lucifer. 1 John 3, 8. And over the vices which he has sown into the world. I wish to raise up the standard of the cross, beneath which virtue and all those that put themselves under its protection are to fight their battles. I wish to satiate my heart with insults and affronts, which are so estimable in thy eyes. I wish to humiliate myself even to death at the hands of my enemies, in order that our chosen friends may be consoled in their tribulations, that they may be honored by high rewards whenever they choose to humiliate themselves in suffering the same persecutions. O beloved cross, when shalt thou receive me in thy arms? O sweet ignominies and affronts, when shalt thou bear me on to overcome death through the sufferings of my entirely guiltless flesh? Ye pains, affronts, ignominies, scourges, thorns, torments, death, come to me. Who wish to embrace you, yield yourselves to my welcome, since I will understand your value. If the world abhors you, I long for you. If the world in its ignorance despises you, I, who am truth and wisdom, love and embrace you. Come then to me, for in welcoming you as man, I exalt you as the true God, and am ready to efface the touch of sin from you, and from all that will embrace you. Come to me, ye pains, and disappoint me not. He not my omnipotence, for I shall permit you to exert your full force upon my humanity. You shall not be rejected and abhorred by me, as you are by mortals. The deceitful fascination of the children of Adam, in vainly judging the poor and the afflicted of this world as unhappy, shall now disappear. For if they see their true God, their Creator, Master and Father, suffering horrible insults, scourgings, the ignominious torment, and destitution of the cross, they will understand their error and esteem it as an honor to follow their crucified God. 394. These are some of the sentiments which I have been made to perceive in the heart of the Master of Life, our Savior. The sufferings of his death on the cross show, as my words cannot express, how great was the love with which he sought and underwent them. Notwithstanding all this, our hearts are weighed down by sin, entangled in vanities. Psalm 4.3 Though we have life and truth before our eyes, we are nevertheless carried away by our pride and repelled by humanity, ravished by what is pleasurable and full of abhorrence for what is painful. O lamentable error, to labor much in order to avoid laboring a little, to exhaust ourselves entirely merely in order to avoid a small inconvenience, to foolishly resolve on suffering eternal shame and confusion, just in order to evade a slight dishonor, or in order not to forego one hour of vain and apparent honor, who, that claims the use of his reason, can say that he loves himself by following such a course. No mortal enemy of his can ever do him a greater harm than he does himself by doing what is displeasing to God. We hold those as our enemies who flatter and entertain, as while they have treason in their hearts. 
and we would call those foolish who would allow themselves to be betrayed by an insignificant pleasure and delight. If we judge right in this, as we really do, what shall we say of the judgment of those who are devotees of the world? Who has intoxicated them? Who has thus deprived them of their reason? Oh, how great is the number of fools! 395. Most Holy Mary alone of all the children of Adam adjusted her whole life according to the will and conduct of her son, without departing in the least from the closest imitation of his life and fulfillment of his doctrine. She was the most prudent creature, full of knowledge and wisdom, who could make up for our ignorance and foolishness and gain for us eternal truth in the midst of our darkness. This happened also on the occasion of which I have spoken, for the heavenly lady, being the mirror of her son's soul, saw all the affection and love actuating his interior. Since this was also the guide of her activity, she entirely conformed to them, and with them addressed her prayers to the Eternal Father as follows. Most High God and Father of mercies, I confess thy infinite and immutable essence. Eternally do I praise and exalt thee, for in this place, after thou hadst created me, thou hadst deigned to glorify the power of thy arm by raising me to the dignity of the mother of thy only begotten, and magnified the outflowing of thy ancient mercies with me. Thy humble slave, and because thy and my only begotten the flesh, which he assumed from my substance, has condescended to retain me in his most delightful company for thirty-three years, permitting me to enjoy his graces, his teachings, and his guidance for the enlightenment of the soul of thy handmaid. Today, my Lord and Eternal Father, I leave my country, and I joyfully follow my son and master in order to be present at the sacrifice of his life and of his human existence for mankind. There is no sorrow like unto my sorrow at seeing the Lamb, which taketh away the sins of the world, delivered over to the bloodthirsty wolves, at seeing that one subjected to suffering, torment, and death, who is the living image and figure of thy substance. Hebrews 1.3 Who is engendered of thee from all eternity, and equal to thee through all the ages, at seeing that one subjected to insult and death of the cross, whom I have given life in my womb, and at seeing the beauty of the countenance obscured by filth and wounds, which is the joy of my eyes, and the delight of all the apostles. Oh, would it, were it possible, that I receive the pains and sorrows which await him, and that I might suffer death in order to save his life. Accept, Heavenly Father, the sacrifice of my sorrowing affection, which I offer in union with him, in order that thy holy will and pleasure may be fulfilled. Oh, how quickly flee the days and hours which shall end in the night of my sorrow and bitterness. It will be a fortunate day for the children of men, but a night of affliction for my sorrow-laden heart, so soon to be deprived of its illuminating sun. O children of Adam, so deeply lost in error and so forgetful of yourselves, awake at last from your heavy slumber, and recognize the weight of your sins and the devastation they are about to cause in your God and Creator. See their dire effects in my mortal sorrow and bitterness of my soul. Begin at last to take heed of the damage wrought by sin. This concludes our reading today for day number 227. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 6, Paragraphs 388-3. to 3. 95. I don't know about you, but the first words of our reading today kind of took me aback. 
Our Redeemer and Master Jesus had already consumed more than two and a half years in preaching and performing wonders. I thought to myself, where did all the time go? I'm like, you're cheating me, Maria Vagrida. I want to know more about the public ministry of Jesus. I want you to tell me about some miracles. I want you to tell me about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I had so many other stories that I wanted to know, and it seems that now we're on the fast track to the passion of the Lord Jesus, that we experience the transfiguration today, and now he has his eyes set on Jerusalem, and we'll be reading that then here in not so long from now. Interesting to think that Mary was present at the transfiguration, that she wasn't there in the sense that she climbed the mountain alongside them, but that she was transported there. When I read that line, I thought, well, I guess it's possible, you know, she was able to see John the Baptist in the desert or see her son through a vision when he was in the desert. So maybe the Almighty God granted her that vision of seeing this experience. And as she sees the glorified body of Jesus, well, she is able to say, well, this is the one whom I gave birth to. His body is also my body. And so she sees that glorification of Christ. And unlike the apostles, she has a greater understanding of it because God permits her to have that understanding. We also heard today that the memory of this event greatly consoled her in the absence of her divine son, whenever his glorious presence was not otherwise felt by her. So that idea, again, of Mary recalling the events of Jesus and how they really console her heart, how they speak to her, how they remind her of all the good that Jesus did and she experienced with him. After the transfiguration, Jesus makes a quick stop back at the home in Nazareth with Our Lady. I kind of wondered what that's like. Did the apostles go with him? Is this one of those visits where he goes by himself? And then it's kind of like us when we go home and maybe visit family and then we come back. It's a short little visit, but we do it by ourselves or with the people in our family that we love. But then... He departed with his mother, his disciples, and the apostles. So he spends these last days with her, and then she conjoins him. But that's the last kind of intimate sharing between mother and son. We see the prayer of Jesus. We hear that today as he prepares. He's praying, setting his eyes on the passion, praying to his father that he might fulfill the father's will. Another thing we heard today, Most Holy Mary, alone of all the children of Adam, adjusted her whole life according to the will and conduct of her son. She would say, Jesus, your will be done. Her whole life was all about that fiat that she gave, that she said, let it be done to me according to your will. It's all about the Our Father, where we pray Thy will be done. Mary gives us that first example of living the will of God. And then as our reading today closes in paragraph 395, we get a little snapshot into the prayer of the Blessed Virgin Mary as she prays for her son. 
And there was a very touching line. She says, Accept, Heavenly Father, the sacrifice of my sorrowing affection, which I offer in union with him, in order that thy holy will and pleasure may be fulfilled. It almost sounds like the morning offering in which we unite our joys and sorrows to the sacred and the immaculate heart of Jesus and Mary. I offer in union with him. And so we offer our prayer, we offer our sacrifices in union with this one sacrifice of Christ that he offered on the cross. We offer it in union with him, surrendering our prayer and action to that of Almighty God. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.